This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter, at Burns23. Y'all good. I like Atlanta. And joining me, as always, is the president of The Witness, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself. Yeah! I feel a church up in here. Come on, saints. They live, yes. Yes! Come on, y'all. What's up, man? Jamar Tisby, y'all. Give it up for Jamar. So excited to be here in Atlanta. And then, as we mentioned to the crowd before we turned on the recording, we are here at Cornerstone Church in Atlanta. So can we give it up for Cornerstone Church? Jamar, I'm feeling good. Oh, See, I yes. like I like going to every place we record the show, but the South. There's something special about man, the South. Man, you know that's right. You know that's right. Talk about the South, man. It's it's it's, it's that it's that di- dichotomy between justice and joy, right? Like like what? it's in the middle of the struggle. It's in the middle of the I don't struggle. Know what this brother talk about? What you talking about? And I was talking about the, the food, the culture, time. the clothes, the heat. It all goes together. You don't have the food, the culture, the clothes, all that without the struggle and finding joy in the midst of that struggle. So it's like right. people down here know how to find the beauty in life and create that beauty too. So I love it. I don't know what that brother talking about, man. <laughs> That's good. You know, recently we talked about this a couple of episodes ago. We talked about the fact that Jamar made a really big decision in his life. And if you guys have seen pictures of Jamar before, see some people already pointing to the head. That boy got his hair cut. It looks good though, don't it look good? I try, I'm trying to get on your level with the wave game. No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jamar's a little salty because earlier today he had on these press shorts and he had on the slides and the sunglasses. I said, Jamar looking like somebody's uncle. Like this is black <laughs> uncle culture. All he needed was that little phone clip on the belt. Nah, never that. You know what uh-uh. I'm talking about? The phone clip. Every uncle got the never phone that. clip on the belt. I'm like, this is appropriating black uncle culture. Okay? We didn't talk about you, though. We didn't no, talk no, about no, you. you. No, because you, you came in the jogging about... pants. You came with the do-rag on with the hat over it. Okay. You were looking like Ty. What did, what did Adam say? He said, that man ain't nobody's pastor right now. No, 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 no. <laughs> I just turned 30. I'm Tyler goes away to get away. He's like, I got no responsibilities no. right now. Okay, Uncle. Uncle Jamar. Okay. <laughs> now, nah, but so Jamar, he did this really awesome thing. He cut his hair, right? And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to do something drastic too, all right? And I'm going to announce it to you guys what I'm going to do before the world hears it. I'm going to take a break from social media, okay? Anybody ever done a social media hiatus? Like you disconnected, you unplugged? Is it true that you don't want to come back? Is that really true? <laughs> she said, no, it's not true at all. No, I want to come back the next day. Like, Jamar, did you, did you ever do a social media hire? I just did one a couple of months ago uh, to, to, to just focus on some big projects. It was an experience. It was as long as I've been on social media since I got on. 
How did you feel afterwards? I'm very curious about how I'm going to feel about all this. Uh, okay, so I, I, I read a lot of news. So I, I usually am on Twitter, right? Everybody's got right. their preferred platform, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Sure. I'm usually a Twitter guy because it's like my current events, right? right? So I started reading a lot more articles, which was great because now you're not getting 280 characters. You're getting actually a full article, right? So I felt a lot more informed and at the same time, I felt a lot less angry. Because <laughs> Twitter is angry. <laughs> That's uncle culture right there. Uncle's always angry about something. You are Everybody, uncle, bro. You're somebody's on uncle, on Twitter bro. to be mad at somebody. That's uncle culture. But, you know, I'm really looking forward to getting away. But there's some things that I have to be honest with y'all I'm going to miss. So I'm going to miss all the family pictures on Instagram. I'm going to miss that. I'm going to miss my PTM Private Facebook group. I love y'all so much, man. Y'all keep me sane and give me life. And I'm going to miss Black Twitter, too. I'm really going to miss Black Twitter. I hope nothing crazy happens, because, you know, whenever there's something crazy that's happening, Black Twitter's like, ah, you know, I just love it. Um, but, you know, there's something else I'm going to miss. And, you know, I know we're, we're sanctified. We're filled with the, you know, Holy Ghost. We are Christians. We're saved. But, you know, I'm really going to miss clapbacks, okay? <laughs> Clapbacks are a ministry, okay? Like, it's a, you feel what I'm saying? Clapbacks is a ministry. I'm really gonna miss clapbacks, bro. Now, okay, so for for the for the for those of us in the audience who are too holy, too sanctified to know what clap, y'all got operating all the fruit of the spirit. <laughs> we got some real mature saints in the house. Mature, yes. okay? So, like, explain what clapbacks are for the people. I mean, a clapback is just a comeback, right? So, somebody makes fun of you, cracks a joke or whatever, you can't just sit there and take it. You got to say something back. But Twitter's taking it to a whole new level. It's like a whole clapback culture, right? So you're going to quote tweet somebody and then you're going to come with your snappy reply. And, and sometimes it's funny because it's witty. Sometimes it's funny. It's just totally unexpected. Sometimes it's not funny at all. It's just savage, right? Like like Katana, you know, Elodia in the house. Yeah, um, yeah. She so, made him, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's she made you, you know, so, and, and it's one of those things where like, we, you know clap back because you always had that moment where somebody said something and then like the next day you said oh I should have said this man that would have been awesome am I the only one who like replays (laughs) debates in my head like yo I should have said this I should have and you know I'm just I'm just gonna be honest with y'all like I'm human like I really like clapbacks like it's something within me that desires that like I'm, I'm working God is working on me okay pray for me so at the same time where I'm thinking about this you know, going off of social media, missing clapbacks, I realized, you know, when I was reading uh, this book, it's by this author named Shea Serrano, and he wrote this book about basketball, and he has this whole chapter dedicated to the most disrespectful dunks of all time. It's so good. Like, it's amazing. And so I'm like, yo, he had this whole criteria for everything, and I'm like, yo, what would be my favorite clapbacks of all time? So I want... Yo, I want to hear your your top three. Just give me three <laughs> of your favorite clapbacks of all time. These can be like biblical. This can be unbiblical. Like this can be. I just want to hear. Like, what do you? <laughs> I just. I mean, I'm just curious. Like, it's not. It's not. I'm not co-signing everything. I'm just, I'm just curious. Like, I, I want to hear. I want to hear. We'll give them. We'll give them three each. Okay. Okay. All right. So so I got two Bible ones. Tyler's always getting on me, but being too deep. Too heavy, right? Uncle culture. Uncle I got two Bible ones, but then I got a pop culture one too, okay? Uncles. All right? I'm not as Black young uncles. as I used to be. I don't know what all y'all know. So 
obviously God is the king of clapbacks, right? So I love it in the book of Job. Job goes on for 37 chapters complaining about his situation, which was messed up, legit, right? But he's going back and forth with his friends, and then toward the end of the book, Elihu comes and rebukes him, and then God chimes in. Mm. And I love God's response. He's like, okay, Job. Uh, you said your little piece. I'm going to let you finish, but, 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 but now let's hear it. He says, dress for action like a man. I will question you and, make it no- and you make it known to me. And then he asks him two or three chapters pretty, straight of questions. Yeah. Where were you yeah, when it, I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you it's have bad. understanding. Or who shut the seas with the doors when I burst out of the womb? Okay, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? You tell me, Job. <laughs> Come on, church. I just thought that was a bad clapback. And then, and then, what did Job say? He says, "I lay my hand on my mouth. <laughs> I so have spoken like, I once. Nothing ever again. <laughs> I will not answer." You know, it's bad if God actually like directly claps back to you, it, not like it, to a people or a group or a country. Like that's bad. Okay, so I'm gonna go like new, and then I'll go to like old. Okay. Um. So I'm not. This is not a biblical one. <laughs> the story of Adidon by um, Pusha T. The Pusha T diss track against okay. <laughs> Because here's the thing. Like, yo, if you clown on my nose, like, that's one thing. If you clown on the way I dress, that's one thing. This man said, you are hiding a child. <laughs> like, he changed the man's life. He changed the trajectory <laughs> of his existence. Like, that's heavy to me. Like, if you make me rethink, like, my responsibility as a man, like, that's a really good clapback. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. That, that, that wasn't just like an insult yeah, or I'm joining you. Bad. He's like, I need to call you to a higher moral level. Bad. Okay, no, okay number, <laughs> number two. Okay, number two, uh, I'm, I'm studying history, so I follow all these historians online, right? Yes, yes, so, <laughs> do this one, do this one. So there's this yes. cat online. He's a, a historian at Princeton. His name is Kevin Cruz. Uh-huh. I, I mentioned him at Past yes. the Slice. And and he got into it with this guy named Dinesh D'Souza. I don't know if you know about Dinesh D'Souza, but he's like a, you know, he's like an equivalent of a... You know, he's he's a false teacher in historian terms. And so so he tried to to say some stuff and then an actual academic historian clapped back. And I love it because he just does it on Twitter in these long Twitter threads. And so D'Souza's trying to say, well, you know, Republicans are really the party of civil rights. Yeah, if you go back to 1860, right, like there was this big switch. And so, literally, I'm looking for the exits. I'm just making sure I got the exits. This is one over here, one over there. But literally, Kevin Cruz takes him to school. He's like, I keep seeing this talking point in my mention. So sure, let's address it. And you can just picture him just rolling up his sleeves. Then he goes he on like for like 20 tweets. tweets, you know, and just breaks it. I didn't down. read it all. Like I was like, oh, good. Oh, he good, drags him. He drags him. But yeah. D'Souza won't quit. But look. It, it's so funny seeing historians clap back to other people who don't know history. Because historians is all about getting receipts. Historians got the receipts. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that's, again, that's very uh, academic. Uh, mine, you know, mine is sort of academic. But, you know, one of my favorite writers of all time is a guy named James Baldwin. Ooh. Love James Baldwin. And so James Baldwin, there's this famous clip of him on the Dick Cavett show. And he's talking about his experience of being black in America. And then they bring out this Yale philosopher named Paul Weiss. And so he kind of 
gives a rebuttal to everything that James Baldwin said. Now, here's, here's the thing. Posture during the clapback is really important. Like, your posture is, like, super... And so this was back when you could, like, smoke on national television. And so he's got this cigarette, and the guy comes out, and they're like, what, do you do? what did you think about, you know, James Baldwin, what he said? He's like, well, I disagreed with a lot of it. And, uh, and James Baldwin's kind of looking like... And then he does the tap on the cigarette. He does a... I was like, oh, stop. Taking his time. And then as only Baldwin could do, he starts, like, breaking it down, you know? He's like, uh, you know, he does this thing about, you know, I don't know if the Christian church is racist, but all I know is that the most segregated hour is uh, high noon on Sunday, you know? You want me to rest my wife, my woman, you know? And it's so crazy because the guy says something after that, but I've never wanted to know what the guy said. Like, I've always stopped the clip, like, right there. He should have just been like, yeah, you're right. But, but that's the thing about clapback culture. Clap you never back down, so it just makes you look more stupid. Okay, last one for you. Yeah, it's another biblical example, right? Okay, so we know Jesus Christ is the king of clapbacks. And I love the way he brings it to yeah. the Pharisees, right? He does it multiple times sure, in sure, the gospel. Sure, 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 but there's, sure. One, there's one particular incident, and I think the setup is so important, right? Because mm-hmm. Jesus is teaching in the temple. And the Pharisees, who are the religious authorities of the time, they don't like his teaching because it's disrupting their power, all that stuff, right? So, so... Sounds familiar. Sounds familiar. Sounds familiar. It does. And so uh, they, they, they want to test him, which is a bad idea. Don't, don't test Jesus. So they bring the woman who is caught in adultery. And they say, okay, teacher, you who, who are teaching this law, you just spent all that. You did, did this big old sermon. Now, according to the law, it says we are to stone her. What do you say, Mr. Disruptive Teacher? And Jesus it was so smooth because he's writing in the sand. Nobody like that's why knows. Posture is so important. Nobody knows what he's writing, Nobody but you knows. know he's nonchalant about it. He's like, "Okay, uh, let he who is without sin cast the first stone." Mm. And then what's so savage? What does he do after? He goes, goes back, back to, to writing. writing. Yeah. <laughs> goes back to writing. And they all went away silently. Man, I love it. So mine is my last one is a biblical example too, but this is not someone. This is actually someone who Jesus healed. It's a blind man in John chapter nine. John chapter 9. Yeah, y'all already, you already know where I'm going. See, we, you know what I'm saying? And so the blind man, disciples pass by. They're like, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So Jesus is like, it's not someone that sins. You know, it's that my glory may be revealed in him. So he puts mud on his eyes and then heals the man. He goes away seeing. But then the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they question the man because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Now, here's the crazy thing. The blind man is like so, like his clapback is so, I don't know what just happened. Like he just started seeing it. It was like, yo, clapback, clapback, clapback. Because first they went to his parents, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They went to his parents and they were like, yo, what happened? And they were like, we don't know. <laughs> and then they said this. They said, our son is of age. Why don't you ask him? <laughs> <laughs> now, you know what that sounds like. He grown, he grown. He grown. I'm like, yo, that's crazy. And then they go in and talking to him and they're like asking him the same question over and over again. And he's like, bro, like, I don't know how. Like, I don't know that he's a sinner. Like, I, you're talking about Jesus is a sinner. We know he's a sinner because he healed on the Sabbath. He's like, look, all I know is I was blind. Now I can see. Look. And then they keep asking him questions. And then he says something crazy. He's like, wow, this is remarkable. This is amazing. That's actually in the Bible. <laughs> And again, when you know, you know you've won the clap back. You know you've won when people throw you out. They threw the man out. They were like, like they, 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 couldn't, they couldn't have nothing to say to come back to him. She's like, just Dude. get out of here. Just go. We don't want to see you. 
Man, clapbacks. I like clapbacks, man. But you know, clapbacks are really fun. They're really rewarding. But the question that we have to ask ourselves, and this is a question we've been asking ourselves is, are clapbacks really productive? And is it productive for us not to react, but is it productive for us to be reactionary? Mm-hmm. We've been asking that question. Yeah. Because while it's fun, it's rewarding, and I don't think there's a choice. Like, I think you can be productive and you can react sometimes. I don't think it's a choice. We can walk and chew gum at the same time, okay, FYI. But the question is, what are the consequences of not reacting to everything, but being reactionary to everything that happens in our culture? You see any consequences with that? Yeah, I mean, you become known for simply what you're against, right? Is, is all, 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 your, your whole identity is, I'm not them. I'm not those people, or we don't do that. Yeah. And that becomes, I mean, then your whole identity, your whole existence is negative. And it's based on sort of tearing someone or something else down rather than, like you said, being productive, being constructive. Yeah. And I think, I think there are some people, especially with social media, right, it has lent itself to that. They think it's their ministry. It's right. like, like I got a clapback ministry. Right. Um, and it's like, okay. I mean, it is a ministry, you know. If, like, if you do it well, you know, some people are gifted, ministry. right? But, um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you, you, you become known solely for, for what you stand against rather than what you stand for. You know, what I found that's very fascinating, there's been this movement to decenter our theology or decolonize our theology away from mostly Anglo and European sources so that we're rooting the scriptures properly, not just in one particular majority culture. But one of the things that I've seen is that sometimes our focus is so much on decentering our theology, decolonizing our theology, that we end up centering the very thing we're trying to decenter from. That's right, that's right. Like, so we, we're so focused on this. We're so focused on what someone else is doing. So focused on the majority culture. We're so focused on critiquing denominations. And again, don't get me wrong. We'll talk about this in a second. This is good. And sometimes it's necessary. Many times it's necessary. But the reality is sometimes we can end up, you know, through a weird way, centering the very thing we're trying to move away from. And so how are we, you know, as Christians, as believers, as people who are trying to, again, bring just and equitable faith to the forefront in the American culture. How are we managing this? Now, we have to, we have to say that a lot of people respond improperly to call-outs. A lot of people respond improperly to call-outs. Right? Like they get called out. And then they call out the call-out. And then they call out the call-out. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's... Uh... That's that's kind of irksome to me, yeah. right? Because it's dismissive. It's dismissive, right? So it happens to us all the time. It happens to us all We're the triggered. time. Uh, I mean, I get a lot of folks on my timeline basically saying, you know, all you do is is critique X, Y, Z, and I recognize I do <laughs> a lot, but that's because I study history and there's a lot to critique. Um, but at the same time, if you haven't experienced what I'm talking about, you know what I'm saying? Mm. It becomes, calling out the call out becomes policing. Tone policing. Tone policing, right? Like, it's not even about you you calling out. They don't address the issue at all. What they're responding from is, you made me feel bad, so stop doing it. (laughs) And I'm like, that's not constructive, nor am I going to (laughs) stop. That's that's uncle culture. But... um, (laughs) You know, I really think it's, it's important for us to recognize that when, when we are called out, I think the church has done an, a very poor job of responding to when people, like people have experienced decades, years of hurt, pain, injustice, marginalization, dismissal, 
and how you respond to someone who responds to you in pain, it tells us a lot about your spiritual maturity. Yeah. And a lot of us, the problem is we derive our identity from being a part of the status quo. And that's our identity is that we're in control, that it's comfortable for us. And what the Bible calls us to do is respond in repentance, yes. respond with sensitivity. And I know you guys, you know, in talking with the Pastor Slice group, it was crazy to hear all these stories of people who have been in a position to where they've been hurt, but the church hasn't listened to them. And so what is the church? How is the church in some ways minimizing it? And recently you got called out for something. I thought you responded really, really well. <laughs> yeah. Jamar gets called out. Like we called Jamar out, but like it's yeah, different. It was definitely. in public. It was on Twitter. He got called out. And I thought you responded really well. Yeah. So I mean, because I thought it was legit, right? Like, like a lot of call out or clap back culture, it depends on your motivation, right? Are you really trying to be productive and constructive in your criticism? And have you done your homework? Right. There's a lot of people who are quick to clap back, but really aren't even putting in the work to understand the issue. This particular person had and it was something that I said on Twitter and, and, it, and, it, and it was just it just needed more fleshing out than I could do in 280 characters. And I think productively he called me out on that. And I was just like, look, I appreciate the thoughtful, respectful engagement. And that was cool. I think that makes us all better. And at the end of the day, what we agreed to disagree, but it was like in the spirit of fellowship. So like, right. I'm not, I'm not afraid he's going to try to blast me in an article or, or more on Twitter and he's right. vice versa. Right. So I think that can be productive. There's tension in the church. By the way, we got to get comfortable with tension in the church. Right. Speak on that. It's, it's, it's this idea of unity and diversity. And I think a lot of times the church tries to avoid tension a, as if it's a bad thing and b the strategy is, to avoid tension by pretending there's not something tense going on, right? And so a lot of times, like, like when we had this slate of police-related killings, a lot of people didn't know how to address it. So what the solution? We don't. We don't mention it. Or racism in general, white supremacy in general. Oh, I know this is going to be divisive in my church, so guess what? I'm not going to talk about it. Or it'll be real, you know, skip a stone over it. I mention it in a prayer right. or, you know, by the way, we should all love one another. Unity. You know? We should listen to one another. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. like, but then What's somebody that look was like, killed. Though? Like, let's address the killing. Yeah, so I think, I think, I think, um, you know, the, there's a reason why God talks about courage so much. Mm -hmm in the Bible. And it's like the, the, the church in America, particularly in regards to issues of race and justice, has this spirit of fear that is actually developed into a very unhealthy relationship between members. It's an illness in the body because we refuse to be honest mm. about the illness. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Wow. Like, brother, go, where the, those are the left. exits. There are two exits to your left. Um, so how do you determine this? Because I think there's been something that we've been working through, how do you determine when is an appropriate time to call out? Because I think this will really help people who are here because they exist in settings where there may need to be a confrontation. There may need to be some sort of addressing of what's going on, an, an email, a letter, a face-to-face -face conversation. How do you determine those things? And we're not, I don't think we should give you know, the full criteria, but just how do you do it for yourself? I mean, for me, it really comes down to uh, I have an experiential knowledge or an academic knowledge of a particular issue, right? So when it comes to racism, I've experienced that. I can speak from experience about the hurt and the pain that it causes. And so I can call that out because, hey, it's happened to me, right? Uh, or from an intellectual standpoint, I've studied this, right? Or this is my job. I do this, you know, whatever, whatever. When you know about something, 
whether that's from um, an institute, sort of a study. My wife is calling me. Hey, baby. Um, yeah, you need to get that, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, um, like, bro, you brave, bro. I would answer she that. Uh, uh, <laughs> she... <laughs> I mean, it's cool. Like, yo, we understand. We'll keep the podcast going. I would have answered. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I got no clap back. <laughs> um, so, so, so you got to speak from a place you know. <laughs> Calling me again, one more time. So yeah, like you were saying, nah, bro, you need to take that. Listen, it's more important uh, than this podcast. Listen, okay? listen. Hey, man, say hi to everybody. Say hi. This is the, this is the little one. Let me, let me try to. What up, Jack? Yeah, there he is. Hey. Say hey, little man. <laughs> What's up, man? <laughs> Superhero. Hey, buddy. It's good to see you. I'm, 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 I'm recording a show, but I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you later, okay? Love you. Bye, bye. <laughs> oh, give it up for that. We're gonna keep that in the show. That's completely unedited. We're not gonna Listen, edit that out. When people say. Why you do this? That's it. Yeah, talk about it. I mean, real talk. So my black son doesn't have to live in the same kind of world that I live in. That's it. That's it. Like, people don't realize it's real. Yeah. Like, people get on social media and think this is just like an abstract philosophical debate. No, I'm talking about real hurt. And real pain that people have been through. Black and white, right? Because it's hard to be an ally. It's hard to be an ally. Absolutely. It's costly. And when I say something, trust me, when I say something, when I call out something, it's because I know it. Either I've experienced it myself, someone I know and love has experienced it, or I've studied it. So I just hope that that people who call out the call out realize we're not doing this for the fun of it. Most of us. Yeah, like I don't, I don't know anybody. I just personally don't know anybody who just says I would like to call out racism, like, and I would like to get trolls. I would because like that's to be really gonna season. be good for yeah, me. Like, you know, people are, like, people are gonna really like me. There's a career in it. Like, where? Where's the money? Like, where is that money? You like, know, I don't, calling I don't, out I don't racism. Yeah. But you know what we're really talking about in the end is building something that lasts beyond us. That's right. And I think what's so strategic about the ministry of Jesus is he comes and then he equips people to do something that will last beyond after the time that, that he ascended into heaven. And so I think it's really important for us to think about how do we build something, not just reacting to what's going on around us, but how do we build productively for the future? That's right. And I think it's really important for us to recognize that a lot of us have, have, have kind of been attracted to justice kind of as a guilt idea. Mm. And we're guilty about, you know, the current president. We're guilty about the, the rash of police shootings. But it, it does you no good to be guilty about a specific situation because once that situation is gone, you know, you, you, leave, you leave the cause. It's like, well, what, are you, what system are you creating? What system are you building? What system are you supporting that will last for your children, your children's children, the people who come after you, that will live beyond you? Yeah. And so the question is, how do we build something that lives beyond us that doesn't just address one or two things on Twitter, which is easy to do, which is important to do. But how do we how do we build something that that goes into the future? Yeah. And I think I mean, first of all, I think that's a, a, a legitimate question for people to ask. Right. If you raise a problem 
Do you have ideas for solutions? If you deconstruct something, do you have something constructive to contribute? Now, that doesn't mean in every message yeah, all of that yeah. has People to like, be there. like, what are the solutions? Yeah, like, what are you do? I think that's Give lame. me five things. It's like you know, Google. You know. Like, exactly, Google, or this is one article I've written 50. Go look at, you know. Yeah. So, so there's that balance, but I, I do think... Um, particularly from like our standpoint of, you know, calling out racism, calling out injustice. Do we have something that we're moving toward? You know, what is the vision? That was one of the things that made the civil rights movement so powerful was there was this movement toward the beloved community. There was this movement toward unity, right? And so I think, you know, as, as, as Christians, we start with God's vision of flourishing and shalom, right? Thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done yes. on earth. And so what he left behind after his ascension was the church. And so for me, it's simple, but not easy. But, but, but for me, what I've always moved toward is that the church would be the sanctuary that the Savior said it should be. Which means when you walk in the doors of a congregation, no matter your racial or ethnic background, no matter what culture you come from, you know you have a place there. And not just a place aesthetically, like, oh, great, we've got, you know, brown people or black people in the congregation. No, you have a place at the table, which means your voice matters, which means if there's something that we're doing that is hurting you or harming you, we're going to change. Or if there's something you're bringing to the table that's valuable, we're going to incorporate that. And it's not trying to flatten it out into some bland monoculture that doesn't celebrate anyone. It just flattens everyone into the same mold. So for me, it not only in the, not only the, the, the church building like Sunday mornings, right? But the community of believers. Do we all have a place? Right. And so a lot of that comes out of my own personal experience of very, very often being one of the only minorities in a, in a particular religious setting and having that sort of thrown back on me as I was inferior. I was doing something wrong. I wasn't as theologically sound, whatever it might be. So how can we create communities and spaces where everyone feels affirmed, not in spite of their racial or ethnic background, but partially because of it? As, as we're celebrating the beauty of God's diversity. Yeah, you know, we get this question a lot, and people will probably ask this in the AMA, this whole idea of, you know, what do we do? The ideas of, of race, either racial reconciliation, racial justice, it's overwhelming for us. Like, what do we do? What's the first thing that we do? I think it's really very important for us to show up in spaces where we don't have uh, maybe as much say and control in how things are going to go, and to show up and be present in those spaces, particularly for my white friends, my white brothers and sisters. Can you show up in a space and make sure that everyone, recently I found out um, for some odd reason I was, I'm not registered to vote, even though I'm a trained poll worker. So I'm trying to figure out why I got kicked off the rolls um, for registration. And so I'm trying to, trying to figure that out. I'm trying to piece it together. You know, I'm like, hey, I'm calling my friends. I'm like, hey, I thought you wanted me to work the polls this, this round. So I'm trying to figure it out. Um, are you... Is there a way that you can make sure that even the people who you don't know and aren't associated with have rides to polling places? I mean, man, it's yeah. it's that simple. Are you registered to vote? You know, is there any way that I can assist in making sure that that happens? You know, and it's not even a savior mentality. It's just saying, I want to be involved in some way. And, and so whatever way you tell me to be involved, tell me to go and serve, you tell me to do this, you tell me to do that, I'm willing to do it. And I think showing up is a massive part of racial, just show up. 
Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's all kinds of applications, right? When, 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 you, when you go to a church that is predominantly of another race, guess what? You know, you have to learn their way, their culture, sit under their teaching, which, by the way, is what most racial and ethnic minor- minorities do in every single setting, That's you true. know, whether it's school We're or work or church. Yeah. Um, so experiencing being a minority is a big part of developing empathy, right? Um, but I'm glad you brought up the, the voting thing because when we, when we talk about practical things to do, a lot of times we sort of default to, to very sort of individualistic, relational, you know, who can I talk to? Systems, what can bro. I, yeah. Politics, you know, politics is about power and power is not a dirty word, right? Power, power is amoral. It's, it, it's what you do with it. And so politics, Creating laws, creating structures, creating systems is about how you deploy power. And what Jesus is, is talking about with the kingdom is the way we deploy power in the kingdom looks very different than how power is deployed in the earthly kingdom. But he doesn't say don't, don't talk about power, right? He's, he's saying use it, use it. to serve. Mm-hmm. And so that necessarily to some extent involves system and structures. And I think there's a lot of ways for Christians to be political without being partisan. Right? There's a difference. There's a difference. You can get involved in politics without saying this party or this other party is the only biblical way, right? Or the only right. Christian way. There are certain things like voting that as a citizen, every citizen has a right to. And so we should be working toward making sure that's accessible, easily accessible to all people. Yeah. That shouldn't be something that like divides Christians, I don't think. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and listen, Here's the thing. Not everyone can start an organization or an institution, but you can be involved in one. You can do something where you are. And if you don't know, I I tell people this all the time, if you don't know the history of your neighborhood, your city, your church, racially, the ethnic history of your neighborhood, your city, your church, your educational system, you should do that. You should study that. There are ample opportunities. Start local. Absolutely. We, We believe that Beyond being re- reactionary, we can be productive. We can build something. Yes, culture And that's making. what's going to last. That's going to last beyond us. It's going to last beyond this podcast. It's going to last beyond the witness. We believe in building something yeah. even bigger than our own organization that years down the line, when, when Jack and when Trinity are growing up, Word. when our kids are growing up, that they're able to live in a different world. They're able to experience a different relationship with church. But I do want to pull on that thread a little bit because a lot of times the debate for racial and ethnic minorities is do, do, I, stay or do, do I stay or should I go, right? Yeah. Do I stay in this predominantly white organization? Do I stay in this culture that clearly is not being responsive or is yeah. just like they yeah. taking their time? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, get out. Um, we've talked before about... <laughs> We've talked before, at least, at the very least, like, don't let anybody guilt you into staying, you know? Like, don't let anybody say, oh, well, if you're not here, how can we do it? Like, I get that, but you're killing me. <laughs> this, to- this culture is toxic for me. And then the flip side of that is there is a place, I think, in, in 2018 to still be building our own organizations, right? Like, that's what The Witness is about. Listen, 
we tried. <laughs> we tried writing the articles <laughs> and speaking at the events and doing it within brother, the like, context. We tried and we tied. You know, what I'm saying is like a lot of people, they don't realize that the, the, the need for the witness came about because we were constantly being rebuffed, that we were constantly not being listened to, right? So we were like, okay, instead of trying to elbow our way onto a table that you built, we're going to build our own tables and bring our own chairs. And guess what? We're going to do it. And, and if you want to come, you can come here too. But you don't get to dictate the terms at all times. We're going to do this collaboratively and together the way it ought to be. So that's what, you know, that's, that's, that's part of the spirit behind the witness, behind past the mic, is that we want to build our own tables and not be so dependent on dominant culture, which may or may not be ready in various institutions. And that's good, brother. Can we give it up for Uncle Jamar? All right, Cousin Ty. This episode was brought to you in part by the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast, an outreach dedicated to bringing joy, strength, intimacy, and purpose to couples seeking growth. Be sure to visit enneagramandmarriage.com to find your chemistry together again, or for the very first time.